welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Time to get lit on literature. Yes. Yay. Happy holidays. The holiday episode. (laughs) It's always a fun one. Yeah, this is exciting. This is a book that is, I mean, I'm really excited to have this conversation. This book made me feel a lot of things. Some good things, some frustrating things, some angry things. Some really fuzzy things. Yes. Peppered so, with a, a snowfall background. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is going to be a really interesting chat. We're going to cover conversations about grief and loss, especially during the holidays. Thinking about nostalgia as a form of grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how successful a plot twist can be and how this book is a really good example of that, I think. Um, a really, really controversial character and love yes. interest. There's just a lot for us to talk about. And for those of you who don't know, this is Always in December by Emily Stone. This is a book that came out last year uh, during the holiday season. I know that Emily Stone came out with another book this year for the holiday season as well called One Last Gift. So Emily Stone really, I think, focuses on this kind of time of year um, in, in her stories. And I think it's very successful. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think this book was a joy to read with, again, a lot of moments that force you to feel many myriad things. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like most of us do during the holiday season. I feel like it's a very appropriate uh, setting in time for all these feelings for these characters. Exactly. This is like when feelings really start to come out, you know, during the year, let's be, let's be real. But this is a book (laughs) that is about a young woman named Josie. She's in her early thirties, I think. Uh, And she sadly loses her parents when she's a child uh, and they get into an accident on Christmas Eve and she grows up without her parents but has her grandparents and they're the ones who essentially raise her and every year she writes her parents a letter uh, just telling them that she misses them and it's a really beautiful concept obviously really really difficult to read about but the I would say the summary of the book kind of leans on that storyline yeah. and the fact that she meets this, you know, young guy and she feels like they could hit it off. But then one day he just kind of disappears on her, has no idea why. And fate sort of brings them back together in these different events. So they do run into each other mm-hmm. and it makes them both question uh, their bond, maybe if they should be together, you know, it kind of just forces them to rethink their relationship and that's really as much as the summary tells you. Yes. And that's like nowhere close, nowhere close to what the book actually is about. No. And I just feel like everyone should go into this book knowing that. Agreed. Because when when we both read the back of the book and we're like, okay, here's the summary. Cool. We both felt and thought the same kind of thing, the same kind of narrative, imagined a sort of ending as you do, I feel like with a lot of these like um, romance novels. And then it, it went like straight left, like like quick left, like completely different than anything I could have imagined. Maybe I should have imagined. I don't know. Yeah. And you were mad. I was mad. And I was mad too, but I was more just like horrified like really sad for the main characters really sad for Josie and I was just confused and in 
pain. <laughs> like it was just. <laughs> well, we'll get into it we'll and be like. It. So this is a spoiler, major spoiler part. I mean, I guess the whole episode. I think is a the spoiler. whole episode is a spoiler. Yeah. I think. I just want to say. Agreed. I highly recommend this book. I really enjoyed it. I think everyone should read it. So if you trust that, if you trust my recommendation, <laughs> I liked it. I, liked I would it. hit pause right now yeah. on the episode come, come and I back. would come back because I think it's worth listening to the episode once you've read the book because the the conversation has to really center on some of the plot twists that, yeah, that we encounter sure. in the book. So there's, hit there's pause if you're going to read it. If you've already read it, don't hang out, <laughs> sip with us. But yeah, I, I think if that the whole care. episode, if you don't be, care, it's, it's still going to be a good chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a problem. We're, you know, we're here for everybody. But um, before we dive into our, our thoughts, whether we liked it and then move into some of the topics that I want to discuss, uh, I think we should talk a little bit about the wine and just let everybody know what we're sipping on today. Yes. Yeah, so um, we are sipping on Craven Wines Sinso from 2020. It's from Stellenbosch, South Africa. I really love this producer. I discovered them in 2020, actually. Um, and they're just really unique, doing great things with sustainability, um, just like bringing their love to the land and I'll touch upon later why I decided to pair this wine in particular with the book because obviously the book is set in London and this is South Africa so we'll we'll get to that then are you going like commonwealth <laughs> commonwealth, is that the theme? commonwealth theme perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> because that's for another episode that's because I have thoughts on the commonwealth thing. oh my god can you imagine <laughs> oh my god that's so funny this and so would probably pair well with Indian food there you another go another commonwealth, commonwealth country oh, oh my god oh that's that's gonna get me angry for another day that's another episode. You gotta bottle it. We yeah, can gotta only bottle have so out. much anger yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. per episode. Yeah, I like to keep my anger at like a nice like two. Yeah, you know? yeah. We gotta share it. Gotta <laughs> spread it out. <laughs> well, let's be real. This book is primarily, I would argue, about grief. Yeah. And about finding yourself in the midst of grief and understanding the concept that grief never really goes away. Instead, it becomes sort of like a white noise in your life. Yeah. You learn to live with it and you learn to have a different relationship with it. And the best definition I've ever heard for grief is having love that has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, I got that vibe. I like that. Yes. From this book and Agreed. from this story. But did you overall enjoy it? Yeah. Apart from the angry moment yes, that we talked yes. about before we hit record? Yeah, yeah. No, I totally enjoyed the book. I was, you know, I actually read it on my way back, most of it on my way back from Disney World. So I was in the car and I'm going through it and I'm like, oh, okay, what's going to happen? Because each encounter that they have, it's just one of those. It's such a page turner. It's such a page turner. It's like you're running into your ex and you're like, what the book? And I'm like, oh my God, what's he going to say? What's she going to say? So um feverishly turning the pages and then I get to that moment and I feel like I hit a wall like a brick wall of what the fuck what the fuck like yeah. anger yeah I was just angry I'm like how could you yeah. do this to me Emily Stone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like as the reader I felt horrible for her it's funny because we had slightly different reactions because you were just like kind of in for the ride yeah got sure. angry at that moment at that brick wall moment I was sort of angry throughout because I didn't like him. Yeah, it was kind of... So Josie's the main character, Mm -hmm. right? She's the one who's experienced this grief, you know, the loss of her parents, meets this guy, 
The love interest, his name is Max, right? Max Carter. And they meet because she runs into him on her bike. Like she just literally, literally, like literally <laughs> runs him over Hits with him. her bike <laughs> when he's getting Was out of it a taxi. On the bike? No. <laughs> I would do such a thing and I'd be like, oh my God, it was an accident. <laughs> but I really, I was just trying to hurt you. But it's like, it's this interesting, like meet cute. Yeah. It's a little violent Super, and a yeah. little weird and a little awkward. Quirky, and, yeah. and he just is sort of gravitates towards her and she offers to get him a drink after she hits him with the bike and he's like, okay. And he doesn't like really seem too into it at first. No. And then after they chat for a little bit, it seems like he's more intrigued. He, he loosens up a little bit and then he asks to spend the day with her mm-hmm. the next day. And then the day after that. Like every day. Like every day. So I was like. Even Christmas. Christmas day. Christmas I was like, Eve. this guy is a fucking serial killer. <laughs> No guy does that. That is, and if they do, it's because they're trying to kill you. They're gonna murder you. I thought it was so bizarre. I was like, be in the boot of their like, car. This guy has to have some ulterior motive. Yeah. Because why would he be doing that? No, and the way that he kept her intrigue was that his flight was delayed. The flight was delayed. He was going to the United States where his uh, parents currently are living, um, and the flight was delayed. And. He has nothing to do because he lives in another town farther away and he's staying at a hotel and he's going to be by himself. So might as well have company. So Right. Well, I might as well just hang out with this random girl random that ran girl into me with her bike. Ruined my phone. and <laughs> Yeah. So he's just like really adamant about spending time with her. And, and I don't know if it's like my life experience or I read too many thrillers, but I was like, <laughs> I don't trust him. There's something there. It was weird. I'm like, another date? Another? My immediate reaction was, I don't trust him. He didn't even have her phone number. It was more like, meet you at five. So even if he murdered her, there's no phone logs. Right. I was like, this is, what year is this? Is this like 1800s that you're just like, oh, I'll just meet you on the town square at 5 p.m. (laughs) Like, I was like, who is this guy? I would have Googled the shit out of him. Oh, well, you, yeah. Well, you, that's a whole other conversation. I'm the detective here. Yeah. Yeah. Alexa can find out anything about anyone within five minutes. So just be aware about that. But... No question. I would yeah. have like searched him on social media. Yeah. I would have wanted it's to know. Ep- she didn't know his name at first for, for yeah. hot, like for the whole bar scene that they were there. Bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre to say the least. Hmm. And I was just kind of like going along for the ride because I was like, I know something is off. And I will say, I think that that was also something Emily Stone did really well. Yes. Because, because the situation was so weird. I was like, huh, I gotta, I gotta figure out what what's going on here yeah and that also helped make it a bit of a page turner for me was the fact that i was so kind of confused intrigued by him but didn't like him i didn't like him as a character yeah because i didn't like how kind of like aloof he was and i didn't like how mysterious he was and i didn't understand his his motives yeah and he was hot which automatically means i hate him so i was like oh no hot and charming yeah hot and charming i'm like that means you're bad person (laughs) (laughs) well and now as we're talking about it i'm realizing because we're here like we would Google him. We would do this. We would do that. And now I'm realizing in the, in the beginning of the book, we find out that Josie had just broken up with her boyfriend. That's right. So she was probably vulnerable. Right. And like, you know, pushing it off because you know, that rebound kind yeah. of attention because and she her, got cheated on. Cheated on. And uh, that's why they broke up. Yeah. So that has a whole other element. element to it. But um, cheated on with a coworker at their office. To put salt in the wound. He yeah. shot where he ate. What a fucking horrible, horrible. Fucking I hate asshole. I hate him. Oliver. Oliver is the same, right? Oliver. Yeah. yeah. I fucking he was hate him. Fucking trash. Maybe that's why I wasn't so um my hate was on Oliver, and I feel like I can't 
project it at too many people at once. That's true. That's true. And I'll, and I'll say this too. At one point, Josie and Oliver get back together. Mm -hmm. And at that point, all of my anger was actually on her. I know. She's so stupid when she did that. I was like, why would that. you get back together and, with this motherfucker who cheated on you? moved to New York with him. With him. Yeah. So to rewind. Yes. The move. reason things don't work the first time when they, you know, when Josie meets Max and they're spending time together three days in a row and they dance in the rain and all this other yeah. bullshit. All this romantic shit on yeah. Christmas Day. and like <laughs> The reason that doesn't work is because after he spends the night. Mm-hmm. He disappears and leaves her a note that simply says, like, I had to go. I had to catch my flight. I thought that this was the best way for us to part. I'm not good at goodbyes. Like, all this douchebaggery. Horrible. Horrible. And I was like, fuck this guy. I don't like him. as Because when I read romance novels, mm. like, when, when the love interest is written by a woman, I'm not going to say that they're perfect because they're absolutely not. But they're things that, like... I could get past like women. I think yeah. write male characters really well because they, they dive into the more like emotional psychological stuff. And so it's not like some guy who cheated and then you're going to forgive him. No, it's like someone who was struggling with expressing themselves mm-hmm. or whatever. So like, I was like, Oh, this is interesting because Emily Stone is painting the pic- the portrait of a douchebag in yes, my book. For sure. So I was like, I'm already going to hate him moving forward. Like I had decided Definitely. that I was going to cancel Max. And I didn't really care about what happened in the rest of the story because I just didn't want to like him after he left like that. No, that was horrible. It reminded me of um, Sex in the City when her boyfriend spends the night. They're fighting, whatever. But they spend the night, have a lovely evening. And then breaks up with her on a post-it. <laughs> like, he's not there. And she finds a fucking post-it. Right. It's just like, I can't. Don't hate me. Or something like that. It's just so cowardly, right? <laughs> it like, is. It's nonsense. And so that's why I just decided pretty early on in the book that I was not going to forgive him. Yeah. No. I just decided I didn't want to. Every right to. Because that is some right. bullshit. Right. So I was like, okay, well, whatever happens, like, this will just be a really entertaining story for me. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that it was. But then, of course, as we mentioned, fate sort of brings them back together. And they run into each other, right? Yes. This is at the... In New York. In New York. That's right. At um, at a party for the a client. Because Max is an architect. And he was kind of freelancing while in New York, staying with his parents. And he had to go to a client's apartment slash bar slash gallery thing and this is in april right so this is like a few months this is like four months after he just dumps her ass in december (laughs) and he's still like he's still in the u.s think about that for a second Mm -hmm. he's still in the u.s when he was only supposed to go for christmas Mm -hmm. or so he said so he said and he's still there working freelance blah 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 Mm -hmm. so they do run into each other at this party because Her ex-boyfriend, now boyfriend again, Oliver, is the one doing the marketing for that client. And that's when he sees her and realizes that the two of them are back together. And that's when I got angry this time at Josie because I was like, oh my God, is everyone in this book horrible? (laughs) Like, what is going on? And don't get me wrong. I sometimes do enjoy books like that. Like a good example of that is a book by Beth O'Leary called The Flat Share where I hated every character, but I loved the book. (laughs) Like, that happens. So I was like, okay, interesting, interesting. And Max is, you know, just so into her. Keen to, like, say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, like, leave you like that or whatever. And rightfully, she was like, please leave me alone. Like, don't talk to me. Yeah. Which I thought was really important. And 
fate brings them together again a few months later yeah. at a wedding. Oh, wait, in September. rewind. When they see each other, she's with Oliver, obviously, but he has his ex-girlfriend who flew in from the UK to stay with them for the, the week or whatever, the weekend. The weekend. So not only is he there with this on-again, off-again girlfriend that, you know, is trying to get back with him, but then he's trying to talk to Josie right. in front of her. Right. Blatantly being like, bitch, get away, and oh like darts God. to Josie. And Josie's like, I don't want to, I have nothing to say. You left me. Cool. Whatever. Bye. Bye. Right. So. Exactly. That's the introduction of Aaron. Aaron, his, yeah. His on and off again girlfriend and close friend, because you can argue that they were also yeah. just bond, like they just had a bond, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. So at the wedding in Edinburgh, that's when you encounter that kind of group again. They're there together without Oliver at this point, because then we find out that surprisingly, I mean, I was shocked. Oh, such a... Oliver and Josie didn't work out. And... Then they run into each other in, in at this wedding in, in, in Scotland, and it's, you know, it's a fun experience. It's a friend of Josie's, and what you encounter is, again, like, a little bit more awkwardness, right? Like, you can so tell that much. he's, like, so drawn to her, and she's just like, what is your problem? But she also leans into it a bit. Yeah, they spend time some time sure. together outside of, you know, the kind of wedding venue, and they go out and they enjoy they enjoy Edinburgh and they and they, and they're out with Aaron too mm-hmm. the, the the on and off again girlfriend which at this point in the book you actually don't know if they're together or not it's no. it's like you assume it but you can't really tell it's very it's very murky though. you just don't know where you stand for a large part of i think this this whole book but that was an interesting moment for me when they're all together in Edinburgh because Max his vibe sort of changes in that he acts a little weird. I mean, they're like all on their way to Edinburgh on this taxi and suddenly they're like out in a field frolicking and enjoying the outdoors (laughs) because he's like, you guys, we have to just enjoy this for a second. And I was like, what is his problem? So it got a little weird, but I don't want to harp. Yeah. I was like, is he trying to solicit her into a threesome or something? Like what's going on here? I know me and you were just like assuming the worst. (laughs) Yeah. We're (laughs) For the whole book, I was like, this guy, he still has a chance to kill her. You know, like, he's going to kill her in the field. I don't want to like harp too much on the summary of the book, but I want to fast forward to the moment when Josie finds out that her grandmother, who she's very close to, has a heart attack. And when she finds out, she goes straight to the small town where she lives, where she grew up. And she's there to take care of her and to do everything she can. And at one point, Max shows up. Random. We're and like, it's what? random. And 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 I'm like, and I have so many questions at that point. I don't understand what's happening. And I'm like, how would he know where to go? And I guess the it's friend told him. Town, and it's a small town. But and like, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't even drive. So it's going to. Very like, bizarre. Yeah. A lot of uh, logistical things. All of these questions get answered. I want to be very clear about yeah. that. All these questions that I had, it's normal for you to have these questions as you're reading this book. All of them do get answered. But I just wanted to kind of focus on that part because that's where the plot twist happens. So this would be the moment, for those of you who didn't pay attention the first time and you don't want spoilers, this is the moment to pause. Yes. We find out while they're in the hospital, while the grandmother is in surgery or coming out of surgery, she has to have an open heart surgery. Um, Max has had a headache for a couple of hours and he doesn't feel great. 
And he goes out to get some coffee for everybody because he's trying to be a kind of supportive boyfriend figure, right? Mm -hmm. So he's there helping Josie and he's helping Josie's aunt and Josie's grandpa. And Josie notices that at some point he just doesn't come back with the coffee. And she's like, oh, he was right by the coffee machine. Like, what's taking so long? You know, like, what's going on? And a doctor shows up and is like, hi, do you, are you here with Max Carter? And she was like, yes. And she's like, I'm so sorry, but Max has passed away. And I had to close that fucking book and just do one of these. Like, no one can see me because this is a podcast, but I'm like squeezing the bridge of my nose and closing my eyes and breathing deeply. That's what I had to do. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I just screamed, what the fuck? And Sean's like, what's wrong? What are you reading? I'm like, this fucking guy died. And I had to explain. I couldn't believe that shit. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck is it this? Was and I was so like, annoying. I'm like, oh my God, poor Josie. Like her parents die. And then her like almost boyfriend dies. And then her grandma. And her grandma's almost, about to die. Almost. Her grandma's oh old God. and then getting open heart surgery. So it's like, it's like this, this, um, fuck this energy and this yeah. like anxiety over her grandma. And oh my God, is my grandma okay? This and that. Like she's probably going a hundred mile per hour in her head thinking the worst things of her grandmother. And then that, that rush of relief that she's out of surgery. She's okay. My grandma's going to be fine. And then, well, your, your boo is dead. Right. He, he dropped dead right now with a brain aneurysm. Yeah. Enjoy your life. <laughs> like, exactly. What is that? So plot twist, he has a brain aneurysm and dies. But <laughs> at that moment we find out that he sort of expected it mm-hmm. because he had an inoperable brain tumor and that's why he didn't want to engage with Josie. Yeah. And it's why he left and he didn't want to create a connection with her, but he was drawn to her and couldn't help it. And also wanted to like live his last few months of life surrounded by people who mattered and wanted to get to know her. And so like, I forgive him for everything, right? Like as a reader. Yeah. But that plot twist for me was so heavy it was so i felt so bad for her yeah like as a character like yeah. going through so much grief throughout her whole life and then that like 24 hours with him there and the grandma just oh my god i couldn't even imagine like it how, was, how do you recover from that it was heavy it was heavy and i think the biggest issue that i had was just like why weren't there more clues throughout? I started feeling that like something was wrong mm-hmm. at one point, a conversation he has with Aaron where she's like, did you tell her yet? And it's implied that there's a secret and that's, that's good. But I could have done with a little bit more. I could have done with a little bit He's more something. because, because I also think it's like a trigger warning issue in the sense that like I signed up to read this book about a woman who lost her parent and then meets someone who she falls in love with. I wasn't sure that I was diving into terminal cancer. No. You know what I mean? Like, like that's sort of like, that's triggering for some people. I, I, I thought that was kind of tough. So fair warning. Yeah. The, the book pretty much, the book pretty much ended with, with a funeral. And I'm like, what the fuck? I thought this was going to be, you know, a, a wedding maybe at the end or like something happier. I mean, it does get a little lighter after that part. Yeah. But but fuck. I but I do appreciate though that this is a romance novel that actually is so much more ingrained in reality. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying that that's the reality of most people, but loss and suffering and being unsure and all of these things are things that we can all relate to. Yeah. And 
romance novels are not necessarily happy, happily ever after stories. And they don't have to be because this book to me is a sort of love letter to how you handle grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've talked very sarcastically throughout this episode about like all the moments that frustrated me and they did, but I think this book is really beautiful in that it, as a reader, it taught me a lesson that I don't actually know everything yeah. about the information that's presented to me. At the end of the day, I don't know Max. No. I don't know the character and that applies to my real life. I don't know anything really about the person sitting in front of me or standing standing next to me. And so the assumptions that I make aren't actually grounded in their reality, only mine. So I think it's actually a really important book. Yeah. No, it totally is. Yeah, and like you're saying, it's it's way more realistic. There's way more like heart and truth in it. Not necessarily like a like a fluffy read. You know, you you, you go into it thinking it's going to be more fairy tales and fluff and snowflakes and Christmas and mistletoe. And then it's like, it gets hard and that's how life is. Like you don't always get that happy ending or you do in a different way, like how she did. Right. And I think the book, apart from being about grief and loss, I want to talk about nostalgia for a little bit mm-hmm. because nostalgia is something that we talk about as in we look back to our past. We think about moments in our life that we've lived and we sometimes think of them wearing rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. You know, we romanticize the things that we've experienced in our life. And I think that nostalgia is a big theme in this book as something that we grieve. And I found a quote that I thought was really interesting because I've sort of experienced this. And it says, it made Josie smile in spite of herself, picturing the city as something more than a beautiful tourist spot but somewhere people actually lived, did stupid things, got into trouble. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was beautiful to think about a city or a place as something that you grieve. Even if it's not lost, it's lost to you. Mm -hmm. And I experience that all the time when I think about Paris. Mm -hmm. Because I lived there at such a memorable moment in my life. I moved there at 18 years old and I was there for four years. And when I think back to it, I miss it. And it's like a visceral feeling. It feels like a death because I don't live in the place that I loved more than any place I've ever lived. And I thought it was really beautiful that Emily Stone was able to like weave in different definitions of loss. We're not just thinking about loss of a loved one who passed away or moved away, but sometimes when we ourselves are separated from a particular place or a particular city or a particular memory, I thought that was really well done. Yeah. No, she did an amazing job of that. Even when she went back to um, her hometown, like thinking back on the different people she met or where her mom lived, her her parents moved across the town, just her revisiting these things, that these memories that she hadn't revisited since she moved. It's almost like she didn't want to go back to them. Right, she was afraid of them. She was afraid. She was like, oh God, I'm facing all this now. And we do that too. And does it ever happen to you sometimes that like someone will bring something, like my mom will do this to me. She'll be like, oh, do you remember that one time I visited you in Venice and we did this and this and I won't remember. And I, and it's not because I have bad memory. I think it's genuinely because like my mind and my heart grieves for that moment in my life. Like I have a great job and I'm thrilled to be Miami and I have nothing but things to be grateful for. But that doesn't mean that you don't grieve 
those moments that at one point in your life brought you so much joy. So it's like your own brain protects you from going back to that. So it's like, again, like she did a really good job of like having the main character experience nostalgia and memory as 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 a form of loss but also as you said like being afraid to go back there being afraid to be happy again yeah and we'll discuss that in a future episode because that's something we do talk about in the iran episode yeah nicknamed it this fear of going back because you don't want to experience that happiness again because you know how horrible it is to lose said happiness so i thought that was really really clever on the author's part and Mm -hmm. i enjoyed that yeah, and I enjoyed how it, it weaved into her hating Christmas or not wanting to deal with Christmas because we get those shallow characters a lot and, and like Netflix movies and this and that. Like, oh, I hate Christmas. I'm a Grinch. But hers is really ingrained in what you're saying. Like the fear of going back to those memories, the fear of thinking about the night of the car accident and just like associating this supposed happy time with this tragic loss in her life and like revisiting the happy holiday memories that she can never really go back to. Right. And that's something that a lot of people can relate to. I mean, we started the episode off sort of joking that all the feelings come out during the holiday season. I think this book is supposed to kind of nod at that. And it does very successfully, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's the holidays can be a really difficult time. There's celebratory time and they're a fun time and you get presents and you enjoy some time off from work. But it's also a time where sometimes you deal with family members that maybe you don't get along with or you're reminded of those who are no longer at your table Mm -hmm. or you feel out of place. And I think that that's just the reality for most people. Nobody's holiday is perfect. I mean, unless you're a child. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's pretty much when it ends because then you grow, you grow up and you realize that, you know, the holidays are essentially a, a, a choice, right? You choose to observe them or not. You choose to acknowledge them or not. And you choose to behave in a certain way at that time or not. Yeah. And I think that that's also really, really interesting because it can bring out the worst in people. Oh, certainly. Yeah. It absolutely can. I wanted to also kind of move to this topic of like the gaps in life. I think that's also a big, really big theme in the book. Huge. Yeah. She clearly has some issues sort of figuring out what she wants to do, where she wants to go. She doesn't have a lot of access to things, right? She's been kind of fending for herself for a long time. And she realizes right at one point in the book, it says, but some of the best things as she knew firsthand came from the gaps in life. And I wanted to talk about that because I think that, in life in general, that's a fear. But I think in America, in the U.S., it's especially a yes. fear. Like, taking time off. Why is there a gap in your resume? Uh, why weren't you working? I mean, it's obviously a very, like, capitalistic thing. Of course. But the gaps in life are oftentimes where you get the experience that stays with you, the memories that stay with you for the rest of your life. And Max is a good example as well. We assume that he's kind of taking gap year and kind of unsure of what he wants to do, but he knows exactly how much he has left. So I just thought it was interesting, like a good juxtaposition between the two of them of what they define as gaps and us as readers is how we judge them based on those kind of gaps in their life. I thought that was really interesting. No, it was great. And there was a a couple of moments 
I had several times that she kept referencing, oh, because, you know, I'm nearly 30 or I'm already 30 and I need to figure this out. And, you know, whether or not she explored um, her hobby photography as a career choice. She's like, well, I, I might be too old. And I'm like, bitch, you're only 30. You're 30. You're 30. And she's there like, oh, I'm past my due date. And I'm like, bitch, you're not milk. you got time. <laughs> So, and she kept referencing uh, when she went to her small town and she saw a girl, I think from school or a family friend, how she's married with two kids. And she's like, well, I'm not even with a, this isn't even my boyfriend. She just kept reminding herself of these moments. So I did appreciate that in Max, that he did try to get her to not think about that. He was the one that pushed her to leave the job or hopefully leave the job that she hated where she was working with Oliver, where she got cheated on and they were reducing her, her position. It was, it was, yeah. um, reduc- they were essentially yeah, like yeah. demoting her. basically. Yeah. And he's like, well, if you hate it, leave. And she's like, no, I can't. I need money. And then he's like, well, your photography is awesome. You should do something about it. And then she started her Instagram and then eventually she made that a career choice. So I did appreciate that about him, but now, you know, it's because he was dying. So he had right. this different perspective on life that it wasn't, you know, you have to check off everything in this certain societal way. It's you have to right. live your life the way you want to live to be happy because you only have right. so much time. And I th- I think we've preached that multiple times on, on, on this podcast. I mean, it's, I think the only time you really fail in life is when you compare yourself to someone else. Like yeah. your path is yours and it's supposed to look different from someone else's path. If it looked the same, this would be an incredibly boring world boring, to live in. Boring. We'd all be robots. It would be <laughs> awful. I can't imagine it. And okay. I think that that's one of the the kind of lessons in this story is remember that what you've experienced in your life leads you to where you are. And all of those things are going to be different from the person sitting next to you. And that you just have to believe that you're worthy of the good things. Yes. And that you can celebrate those good things and that you can use your talents and that you can not stress out about the things that aren't actually important. Exactly. I think the only shared goal that anyone should really have is the goal of being happy. I think that's all we could, you know, compare. Are you happy? Great. You succeeded. Mm -hmm. Are you happy? Great. Perfect. You're doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. And we need to not tell people like what their happiness should be based on or what it's supposed to look like. It's just like, do you wake up in the morning and you generally, I'm not saying every day, some days you might be pissed. I know I'm pissed a lot of days, Mm -hmm. but like generally, do you feel a sense of happiness when you get up? Yeah. Yes. Well, then you're, I would say you're succeeding at Mm -hmm. your life because. Are you moving in the the direction of something that you care about, that you're passionate about? Or do you feel more hopeful about the future than not? You know? I think that that is success. And, and, And I think that everyone has to define that for themselves. I think when we try to put people in boxes or worse when we tell people like oh you'll be happy when yes you'll be happy if always chasing you can't really tell someone that you can't you can't dictate what someone's life or what elements of their life are going to make them happy Mm -hmm. and I appreciated that about Max as well I appreciated that he was trying to emphasize that she can and should steer clear of some of those fears because they can push her in a new direction. And they mm-hmm. led her to living in Botswana for a yes. year. And doing wildlife photography. Yeah. Killing it. Honing in on something that she didn't think she could do. Yeah. She she didn't think much of it. She's like, I need to work this marketing job because it pays my bills. I can't 
I can't just get up and be a photographer. I can't go take that course. I can't do this. And and the good in him was that he did push her out of her comfort zone to do these things that ultimately led her to her happiness. Right. And and at some point, I think she even like reflects on this idea of like finding yourself because a lot of people will be like, oh, you're just taking this trip to like find, are you trying to find yourself? And it's like very like patronizing. <laughs> yes. But I really appreciated that at one point it was like, maybe you're not going to find yourself. Maybe you'd be going because you've finally found yourself. And I really liked that perspective yeah. because instead of patronizing people for the things that they want to do and experience and the change of pace, why don't we celebrate the fact that they're brave enough to do it? Because not everybody is at every moment in their life brave enough to just yeah. put it all behind them and go try something else and Absolutely. do something else. That's actually a really big deal. And I think that should be celebrated. Mm -hmm. So that that was a really interesting way also of thinking about those kind of like gaps in life and, you know, what does it mean to contemplate during that time? How do you navigate societal pressures versus what you yourself are yeah. feeling in terms of happiness? And I, I just thought Josie was a really good example of that struggle and of what it just means to be human trying to find what you want to do and how to actually pursue it. I thought that was well done again by yeah. Emily Stone. Definitely. No, I love that part. I, I loved how her journey ended. It, it came out of this place of grief and uncertainty and, and just not being sure of herself and then turning into like, this is what I want. I'm going for it. I'm moving to a completely different country and I'm chasing that dream and I'm going to be happy and then just rekindling with her grandparents more and saying, I will spend Christmas right. with them. I will get over this fear of Christmas. Because she was so afraid of yeah. going and she spending didn't time go. there. She was afraid it would lead her back to all those memories. And now it's almost like it, all that gave her the strength to go back and be like, no, I'm, re I'm reclaiming Christmas. Right. <laughs> reclaiming my new memories and that's for so myself. Brave. Yeah. Amazing. That's so brave and so important and so big. And I think Josie's a great character. I want to talk about her. Because I think she's great. Like, I would want to be her friend. Yeah. She's super cool. I, I could totally great. see that. I was really mad at her when she got back with Oliver. I, I will say that. But apart from that, I think she was such a well-developed character. Mm -hmm. She was a complex character. She had flaws and insecurities, but she was also incredibly strong and had her heart in the right place and was willing to kind of open up when the world asked her to. Yeah. You know? I, I, I think it's always... The people who are the bravest are the people who can remain soft, even after incredible struggle and loss. And she is that. Totally. She remains open. And she doesn't give herself enough credit. And you could see, like, the human flaws in her in that way. Like, you, you see her. You're like, you're strong. You've got this. You're trying hard. You're, you're beautiful. You're intelligent. But then, you know, she has all these insecurities that, that humanize her and make her totally relatable and, like, a friend and... She does love sparkling wine a lot, as we've yes, seen. Yes, we saw that. <laughs> That's so funny. I was surprised you didn't choose a sparkling I wine. I know, I know. I was like, no, got to go to Africa. Too easy, yeah. Too, too easy, easy, too easy. And then the last kind of thing I wanted to reflect on a little bit was just the quote that her aunt Helen says towards the end of the book when Josie's kind of implying that she didn't get to say goodbye to Max, right? And Aunt Helen says to her, oh, darling, I think he's been trying to say goodbye to you since he met you. I know, that, That's that when was, I started sobbing. That was one. I was like, oh. Also, context for everybody. I was going to not finish the book the night that I was reading it. I was like, oh, I'll finish it tomorrow. I'll just like read like 20 pages before I go to bed. I always read before bed because I do like a non-screen time thing. But 
I found myself at 1.20 in the morning <laughs> reading that quote because it's such a fucking page turner when you only at have like point, 60 yeah. or 70 no, pages no, left. You You're just like, oh my God. And you just go and you go and you go. So I finished <laughs> this goddamn book at like 1.30 in the morning, like just completely like just crying everywhere. I had to get back up and like put my eye cream back on because I'd like, oh you know, cleared God. it all off. It was intense. But that, that quote is the one that killed me. The fact that he knew from, imagine knowing from the very beginning that an opportunity that presents itself will not go anywhere because you are quite literally mm. not going to be here to enjoy Oof. it. It's so bad. And now it makes sense why he was so unwilling to, to take that drink with her when she crashed into him. He was so unwilling to entertain it at first. She had to like, she had to fucking twist his arm over yeah, it. Yeah, like, no, come on, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> I'll buy you an iPhone, I'll buy you a drink. I'll, I'll, anything, anything. I ran into yeah. you, guy. <laughs> and then I just, like, understood him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have to say, I think this book is the kind of perfect reread. Because now that you know what happened, you can go back. You can read it next year on Christmas, right? Yeah. And you'll be like, okay, I know that he passes away. I know that he has terminal cancer. I know the plot twist. But then knowing that and rereading it, you understand his actions better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can go back and you can be like, oh, I understand totally. him. As opposed to like me where I was like, I hate him. He's going to murder Harley <laughs> for a ditch. <laughs> I just wanted to hate him. No, and it makes perfect sense now. His like carefree attitude, his... Oh, on, on one of their dates on the in the, in the days that they were together in the very beginning, he's like, took her randomly at 9 a.m. to a beach. And he's like, I'm never going to feel the sand again or something. Like, he says something yeah. to that effect. And I was like, what? Like, what the fuck? Like, yes. So you're absolutely right. Like, Yeah, I just want to say kudos to Emily Stone for that, for making us, like, confused, but never really telling us. Like, no. The first thing I asked you, I was like, did you figure it out? Yeah, like, did I'm you like, figure no, out the I plot twist? Because I'm... I'm like, I didn't figure it out. Like, who, like, has someone figured it out? Like, I want to know. I'm sure someone on book talk is like, I knew. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 But no, I didn't at all. That's why I was so mad. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was actually furious, but like almost more at myself where I was like, why am I, I should have seen this coming. A and B like, oh my God. Like all the clues. If you really pay attention. Yeah. Like you look back. But again, that's kind of like a metaphor for life itself. Yes. Like it's always so much easier to be like, well, if I would have known this, Mine's or if like I would have done it this way. Yeah, like get the fuck out of here. You know, none of us know what the fuck we're doing. Well, if I knew, I would have bought Apple stock in 1980. Yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. Congrats. 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 <laughs> you know, like every single one of us is out here, literally just trying to do the best that we fucking can. None of us know what we're doing. We're literally no. all winging it. That is the secret to life. Like once I learned that, once I realized that, like everybody. From, like, the president of the United States to, like, the woman I say good morning to because I walk into the museum and she's, like, the person cleaning. Like, every single person, we're literally all just fucking winging it. None of us know what the fuck we're doing. We're literally all just like, oh, okay, I'll try this. Like, that's it. Doing our best. Nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) Nobody. And once you learn that, oh, my God, everything gets so much easier. Exactly. It just gets so easy after that. And that book, this book, reminded me of exactly that. So cheers to to Always in December, to Emily Stone, to a really great book, to what I think is a great holiday read. And I just want to say, too, this is kind of the opposite of the book that we read last year. We read 
Jenny Bayless's um, A Season for Second yes. Chances. Yes. And that was really more of a kind of second chance at life, a woman in her 40s who finds love, who moves to another place, leaves a shitty guy behind. And this one is really more about a young woman kind of learning the lessons that then you kind of see in a book like A Season yes. for Second Chances. We wanted something different, different in terms of yeah. age range, in terms of experience. We wanted to feel like this book was not just going to be like your typical holiday romance, but instead something you could reflect on over the holidays. And I think this book really successfully did that. So we hope you guys love it. Yes. And we hope you enjoyed the chat, but really read this book. Read this book. Read this it's book. great. And and you're always going to get that from us. Not the, the typical, the typical read. The, exactly. The interesting, huh, read. Right. We want to confuse you because yeah. we want to be confused when we read, apparently. I love feeling confused when I read. want to be confused together. Make you think. Use your brain. <laughs> it's called critical thinking and it's lacking because our public education system is poor. So. Get it at Pop Pod. Get it at Pop Pod. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I've been thoroughly enjoying this wine i'm i actually think like you've the first had time ever me, i've had I more than you look at that i know well to be fair i am coming off like a cold or a flu or some sort of sickness not covid not that it matters anymore when has that stopped you before i know no i'm still i feel you know weird inside still but yes so we are drinking Craven Sinso 2020 from Stellenbosch, South Africa. And I am so excited about this wine. I've been following this producer now since um, 2020. I discovered them during one of those virtual wine tastings, as we did many of them during <laughs> the height of COVID. That sounds weird again, doesn't it? I know. <laughs> and it was so awesome because it was um, it was this Craven. So it was Mick from Craven uh, zooming us from South Africa. I think at that point it was like an evening one. So for him, I think it was like 2 a.m. or something crazy. <laughs> and the poor guy's like in the dark because he doesn't want to wake his family. He's committed. He's so committed. So it was him, um, Pax from Pax Wines. And um, uh, Patrick from Monterio Cellars. So it was cool because they're just there bullshitting and stuff. Um, Pouring myself more. Yes. No, it's delicious. Especially because you love Pinot Noir. You love Gamay. This is yeah. gem. The same yeah, yeah. gem. Like this perfect. so good. So in the book, Josie ends up taking a photography job in Botswana. So I thought it would be fun to try something different and grab a wine from South Africa. You know, I don't believe we've sipped anything from that region before. So I thought that was cool. And Botswana actually borders South Africa. So in the same kind of region somewhat. And I also thought because it's Christmas, people usually do reds. But we're in Miami. We're in Miami. It's hot as fuck outside. I think today was one of the hottest days we've had thus far. And I thought it would be nice to have like a lighter, brighter red for us to sip on. Yeah. And I think it's cool too when you think about red wine. Sometimes people just automatically think it's like heavy or hot or it's going to make you warm. Yeah. But I really like this because it makes me feel like I can drink it even on a day like today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can have a light red wine. Definitely. And that was news to me when I started my wine journey. Like yeah. 100%. I was like, no, 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 red wine. No, that's going to make me yeah. warm and it's too much. But not true at all. No, and you could chill it. This should be drunk slightly chilled. Yes, and we are doing that. We are doing that. So um, Cinso is a quintessential Southern French grape. It's great for droughts it thrives under the hot sun and you can find it throughout Rhone Valley Languedoc and beyond 
It's usually not bottled on its own. It's most often found in a blend with Grenache, Mouvedre, um, Carignan, and um, some others. So it's really fun that we get to try it as a single varietal wine, just like single in the bottle without being blended. So whenever, when I saw it, I was just like, I don't think I've ever had Cinso by itself. Perfect. Grab it. And yeah, and thanks to its ability to tolerate extreme temperatures, resist drought and disease, and give large yields, it quickly became an important variety in the hot, arid wine regions like South Africa. Historians think it arrived in the Cape in the 1850s under the name Hermitage, but it wasn't almost until a century later that I'm going to I'm gonna have to slow this word down because I just... Sound it out, sound it out. Ampelographers, am, ampelographers, an expert in the study and classification of cultivated varieties of grape, confirmed it was actually the same grape as Cinso. So it had been there all this time under their nose without realizing it. Interesting. Yes. And so the story about this producer, Craven, their story began back in 2007 while both, um, so Mick Craven, he's the Aussie, and his wife, Janine, she's South African. They were both in Sonoma, California for harvest season. Um, they were both studying. Uh, they studied at their respective universities, decided to hit the road and see lots of things, work in different places, and learn as much as possible about the wine world. And then their similarities helped them launch Craven Wines. In 2011, they moved to Stellenbosch, South Africa, a place near and dear to their hearts since um, Janine lived there. And... Stellenbosch really has an amazing array of sites and terroir, perfect for what they wanted to do because they're totally into making site-specific, honest wines. They want their wines to reflect the land that they're growing them in. They want it to reflect the region. They want it to be very much ingrained in the terroir. So in terms of winemaking, they like to keep things as simple as possible. Um, they do a hands-off wine method but being hands-on, like it's kind of, they pay serious attention to the wine, but they don't try to manipulate the wine because they want the grape to shine through and they don't use uh, cultured yeast, enzymes, fining agents, et cetera, throughout the winemaking process and only use older oak favoring large format barrels. So it doesn't impart that much um, flavor in there and their wines stabilize naturally at times and they use a minimal amount of SO2 only adding that to the wine. So it, it's very natural. It's very sustainable stuff, stuff we like. Very interesting. And about this wine in particular. So this vintage is from the Rustonoff vineyard in the far area. I'm like probably butchering all these words, but. That's okay. We do our Sorry, best. guys. I do we my do best. our best. Um, so it's um, 30 plus year old vines that sit on granitic sandy soils just three miles from the ocean. So you get those type of soils and then the ocean breeze and all the ocean elements. It's farmed organically with the use of cover crops to enhance the vitality of the soil and enhance the wines. Um, when I was actually up in the Finger Lakes, um, some of the vineyards I went to, I want to say it was Boundary Breaks that they had a lot of different cover crops. Um, so that was super cool to see and reading it here. I'm like, I've seen that. Awesome. Yeah. And um, for this bottling, the grapes were destemmed and gently extracted during fermentation. Uh, the juice was pressed into 500 liter neutral barrels where it ages for just seven months before bottling unfined and unfiltered. So we don't really get like any oak flavors or notes to it because it's like a neutral barrel. oak. So it keeps like the, the freshness of the grape and you taste more of those fruit flavors. 
So let's do our favorite part and taste the wine. Looking at it, it's kind of like it's ruby, but with like yeah, it's got a little bit, a little bit of like brown to it almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not exactly ruby mm -hmm. red. Yeah, it is a little. Mm. But mm, we're gonna smell it. Mm. It's like cherries and like floral. Yeah, I I get like like red fruit. Red fruit. There's like tea. There's like a black tea. Yeah. Like raspberries, mm -hmm. very fresh. Yeah, very fruit forward, very nice. And then I'm gonna sip it. I get the cherry like right away. Yeah, super cherry, super delish. Like, like a tartness to it. Yeah, but very, very drinkable. Like very light. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel. Again, for those who are like afraid of a red because they feel like it's gonna be a little much or a little heavy. Like this is so light and yeah and it feels very juicy mm -hmm. yeah super juicy it's like cranberries there's like mm -hmm. pomegranate mm -hmm. it's like very fruit forward very drinkable very fruit forward and i love that yeah it's delicious i love that in a red yeah there's like slight tannins so it's not too off-putting it's very smooth very drinkable very light and bright like crunchy almost feel i dig it yeah, it's very good. And I'm I'm peeking here at this amazing book or a cheat sheet book that you gifted yes. me for my birthday, which I love, Wine Folly. And I love like, I think it's really interesting to see like where these grapes grow. Like mm -hmm. this grows in Turkey, in Tunisia, in South Africa, in Morocco, in Algeria, places that you don't necessarily immediately think of yeah. as like wine regions. And I think that this is like, it just proof that like wine like this can also prove prove to be like an adventure, a learning moment, a teaching moment. And I think that that's the coolest part about wine. Definitely. No, totally learning moment. You could feel like you're tasting through the world yeah. in your glass. You're traveling in your yes. glass. Without the expensive plane ticket. Yep. <laughs> no, and this wine is light and bright. It's delish. Um, it's got on its own, but I would think uh, because of where you know it came from France and kind of grew around the Mediterranean region I would say Mediterranean dishes you could do escargot mm -hmm. um, braised and roasted meat dishes uh, lamb grilled vegetables I, I either um, also you could even do like Indian food I think it would oh, be really delicious with delicious. this cheese like just there's a whole variety of things that you could pair with this and it won't like I feel like it wouldn't overpower the food and the food wouldn't overpower it. I agree. I agree. And I think that one of the things I like the most about it is what I was mentioning earlier is I feel like I can drink this now in the winter and I can pair it with so many things. Mm -hmm. I can drink it in the heat. Like it's just, it feels very versatile, which mm -hmm. I appreciate because sometimes that's what you want. You want to have something that's going to be, you know, on your shelf that you can open at any time. I think this is a pretty good yeah, example. Of that. Exactly. Yeah. Like I don't always want a big bold. bold like napa cab that's gonna hit me in the face and i'm gonna need a steak with it like right i want a wine yeah red that compare with many different things yeah so i don't feel like you know yeah you can mix like, and match yes with her. exactly we can mix <laughs> and match with her um and you can find this wine online for about 30 dollars. i'm pretty sure they have it at um i've seen it for sure for sure for sure at vina in um key biscayne but I'm, I'm sure you can find it. I saw it online at a bunch of places for like 30 bucks. So I think, I mean, for me, that's like an affordable wine 
of this kind because it is like since so that's weird you never right. see it funky. As funky it's from south africa like it's just like a different so for me it's affordable i understand it might be a a stretch for some people like why why should i buy this random grape i don't understand what this grape is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i'll get a malbec or a merlot or you know grapes that i i've that seen you know. that i know mm-hmm. but um this wine is amazing if you love pinot noir if you're into gamay so like beaujolais wines if you're into you know stuff like that i would say definitely pick it up if you ever see you since so i would urge you because it's it's not that common <laughs> yeah i mean that's 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 why i like it like you said i love pinot noir i love gamay so this for me is just like an extension of all the things that i already love but i think that what you're paying for is the versatility yeah i think that's like what the 30 bucks is is knowing that you can open that and you can drink it with anything at any time for sure and they pour their heart out it's like all made with love it's not mass produced they it's very limited um their their bottling of their wine so if you ever see them grab them i'm still like my unicorn that i'm looking for is they have this pinot gris that's um skin contact wine it is beautiful it looks like a rosato it's so (gasps) orange Oh my it's god. Gorgeous and it tastes delicious and it's amazing. And I only found it here at um Lucio's wine shop, which closed. Oh. And I haven't found it since. I mean, I, I'm sure I could order it online somewhere, but it's just, I don't know. There's something about buying it from your local finding wine it. shop. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's what I did for Christmas. I went to my local wine shop and I, you know, bought my loved ones bottles of wine now that I have enough education to do yes. so. But this is one that I would definitely gift somebody who likes red wine, wants something a little different, maybe wants to have a learning moment with their wine. Mm -hmm. This is just kind of like a really good, really good place to go. Definitely. And I mean, and the label's a little festive too. Mm -hmm. It's um, this purple, like a lilac kind of label with a... I, I don't know. It's, it almost looks like a, like those blossoms, like what is it called? It, it almost looks like a cherry blossom, cherry blossom bush, tree. but I know it's not. It's not, but, I lo- but it, it looks, sure as hell looks like it. It looks like it. Yeah, I, there's no question. I actually didn't get much info on the label, but it is a beautiful label too. So it's like art. I it's, love it. It's pretty. So, so we love Craven. We love this wine. We love Highly the Highly recommend. We recommend both and we recommend them as a pairing. There's yes. no question about that. Thank you all so much for indulging us, humoring us. (laughs) Uh, We will finish this bottle of wine and we wish you all a wonderful holiday season. Whatever it is that you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, nothing like me. Festivus. Oh, that's what I celebrate. I celebrate Festivus for the rest of us. Ah, ah. I got to go get myself a, a, a stick. Yes. Because, yeah, I'm I'm that I'm that one. I'm the one who doesn't celebrate Christmas, so that'll be my festivus. But we mm-hmm. wish you all just a wonderful time of year, and we hope that you love the book and that you love this wine. Yes. If you love this episode, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, give us all the stars, all the positive reviews. If you don't follow us on Instagram, follow us at Pouring Over Pages Podcast. Go to our Etsy shop, buy our merch. It's great. And um, subscribe to our newsletter. And I think those are all of my call to actions today. (laughs) I think so. And like always, cheers. cheers.